So we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus. <laughs> we're going to speak directly on, on the thing, Jesus. He is the center of it all. And uh, there is nothing, no one, nothing that you will ever find that is greater than Him. And, uh, and as we just prayed, my prayer is that as we look at this, we're going to see Him for what He's really done and for who He really is. He is a connector of God and man, of heaven and earth. He came to uh, sacrificially make the stand as a hedge, the go-between, the mediator to, um, to make up the gap that existed between man and God. And in fact, uh, we, I can't put it up on the screen right now because we've had some technical difficulties this morning. Um, however, I'll just read it to you. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. We could stay there for, for a long time, but let that just be the first thought. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who is God and who is man. And uh, hopefully we're going to see a little bit more of that to where it's not just a bunch of theology and doctrine, but it's living reality of the picture of the immense love of God. So here's the idea for today. That in the beginning, when God created everything, it was all good. There was no evil. There was no sin. There was no any of the stuff that you and I have become, can I say, desensitized to probably because it's all around us and has been ever since. It's all we've ever known. This world that is somehow beautiful and yet also has evil in it, cohabitating. The world originally was good. And something happened that we call the fall that issued evil into the earth and more importantly a disconnection between God and man whereas before there had been perfect union between God and man something happened that disconnected and broke the direct connection between heaven and earth there was no distinction between heaven and earth before and Jesus if you can get this picture with me if you can almost think of like heaven out there and earth being this material realm over here and heaven's out there and it's like Jesus was in heaven and if you could see almost like a, a, like a loop like we needed to tie a connection like a string sent out tie a connection between the two Jesus took that string if you will and he went into the earth and he in the earth manifested so that mankind could see what they hadn't seen ever since the fall, which was God himself. A picture of who God is, what heaven is like. He manifested it completely, but he didn't just do that because if he just stopped there, it would be like, see, this is how you guys should be acting. That's not what he did. Then he went to a cross so that what had been done at the fall, the lie that had been perpetrated about God and the mistake that man had made Jesus as God and man made up both of them. And then he ascended back to where he came from, making that loop complete so that he has forged the way that though we don't deserve any of it, because of what he's done, we can now go back to where he is and live on this earth with that realm inside of us. Does that make sense? Heaven 
being in us here and now. When Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he wasn't joking. Heaven is within grasp because of what I'm about to do, is what he's saying. So the three ideas that that I hope to convey over the next couple minutes, one is that God pursues you in love. So much of Christianity has been portrayed as you better get right. You better make this thing right. Jesus has made it right. You don't have to make it right. You put your trust in Him, the one who made it right. God pursues you in love, and as we get a grasp of that, it will change the whole orientation of how we relate to this God. It is not about you ever being able to get it good enough because you're never going to. He's, He's good enough, and He will live inside of you. Okay, so God pursues you in love. Secondly, it's not about rules or ethics or a moral code or how you dress to go to church, what music you listen to or what you should wear or stuff that church has tried to put on people. It was never about that. Jesus has made it to where it is about trust and about a spiritual connection. And then thirdly, uh, the reality is You ready to be challenged a little bit? He sends you. The same one who took that string, if you will, and left heaven and came to earth. If he's living inside of you, his heart hasn't changed. And now he's looking for those who would follow him so that he could continue to do what he's always done. He sends you into the earth to to perpetuate what he started. So let's look at this. The beginning... Of if you want, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app or whatever it may be, if you want to turn to the beginning, Genesis chapter one, we're just going to look at the orientation of where this whole problem started because you can't really understand the solution until you understand what the problem was. You don't understand Jesus, you're not going to understand the cross. It's all just going to be a bunch of religious weirdness. It's all I, I, that I saw for the first 17 years of my life. All this stuff. What is the gospel? I remember, you know, like we're supposed to preach the good news, the gospel. What, what, is, what is the gospel? We're not going to understand it unless we understand the problem, what he was fixing. So Genesis chapter 1, uh, chapter one verse 31, is this idea right here. It says that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So if you know the scripture before that, most of you probably have heard this, that he, on, you know, in the day one, he says, let there be light, there was light. And at the end of the day, he says, it was good. And then at the end of day two, he says, it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, day six, he creates mankind. He's creating all this stuff up till then. He's saying it's good. Now, I want you to take note. If it was good, is there any evil? Is there sin? Is there rape? Is there all the stuff, the poverty and sickness, disease? Is there all of the... No, no, no. It was good. There was symmetry, alignment between heaven and earth. But what I also want to draw our attention to is that when he creates man, he doesn't say it was good. He, he looks and sees man and says it was very good. There was something in him that was a little over the top, 
with excitement and enthusiasm because everything that he had created up to that point, the stars, the animals, the fish, the seas, the everything was all for the purpose of this last apex of his creation. The only ones who the Bible says are created in his image after his likeness to reproduce after his own kind. In other words, his children. And when he sees his children in the garden that he had created and everything is good and he sees the most important of all in his heart, he says, it is very good. What I'm trying to get you to see here is that you and I, humans, are the biggest thing in his heart. And so we might think, oh, but I thought the biggest thing in his heart is probably like large church buildings, isn't it? I mean, that's like got to be the big thing. Like those cathedral, that's like, he cares, he's got to care more about like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the, probably step on toes by saying it, but like some famous cathedral somewhere in Europe or whatever. Like surely he cares more about that than me. Actually, probably could give it or take it as far as the building is concerned. Humans cares a lot. Amen. Big time. And so a takeaway from, from this so far, all that God had made was good in the beginning and that man was very good and in, in that we see a love relationship. Clearly there's enthusiasm. There's something deep in his heart. It's a love and there's a sonship relationship that he created man after his own kind. Just like the, uh, the, the uh, vegetation had created with seed bearing fruit after its own kind. We alone were created to bear fruit after his own kind, his DNA. It was, it was sonship. The connection broke, get this, from not trusting. And that not trusting ultimately came from a lie that God doesn't really love. That is the problem. Remember how I said you got to understand the problem to understand the solution? That's the problem. And so much of the church has said, you go to a bar on the weekend and you got drunk and that's the problem. I'm not saying we should go to bars and get drunk and hammered and all this stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that's not the problem. That's a fruit. The problem is not trusting. Well, that can sound like performance. I need to trust. Not trusting is stemmed in our perception of God. Does he love me? Now, I don't need to, to work hard and be a good Christian and, and, and choose to believe and get myself to believe that He loves me. I need a revelation yes. of who He is that my heart becomes transformed by the revelation of who He is. He loves me. In fact, He is love. Now we begin to understand Jesus on a cross. But we're going to get there more later. If you look at me, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, scoot over two chapters later. Genesis chapter 3. We already know everything was good, but here comes the problem. Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. I'm reading from the NIV here, the New International Version, uh, that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree, from any tree in the garden? And so I want you to pause here. What is, what is this serpent who is characterizing the devil, the deceiver, the one who has brought forth this problem in mankind? And yes, we do believe that spiritual beings are real. There is a devil. He still exists. 
It is real. And, and in fact, more than that, you and I are spiritual beings. We have a physical body, a material body. It will return to the ground from where it, when, from where it came. Worms will eventually eat it. Sorry for the picture. But inside of me is a spirit. Inside of you is a spirit. You're created after his kind, after his likeness. Remember that? God is a spirit, John 4, 4 says. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We alone were created in his, in his image and in his likeness, not because God is some huge human-shaped figure out in the cloud somewhere. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's not, with that idea of us being in his image and his likeness is that we are uniquely spiritual beings. Nothing else has a spirit. So this question, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, this question here, did God really say, I want you to take note of that, he doesn't kind of come and directly say anything. He, it's an indirect kind of tactic. And he's saying, question God, doubt him. He doesn't say those words. I think you should question God and doubt him. But by asking, did God really say he's getting you to do that? Question God, doubt him. This was new in the earth. This has not happened. This was foreign. This was a new thought interjected. What if maybe everything is looking good? What if if it's all, all mirage? What if God isn't actually good? What if he doesn't have my best interest at heart? What if he's using me? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die. We've gone from an indirect question, from a kind of supposition, kind of a suggestion to a direct accusation. And elsewhere in Scripture we hear that the key ingredient, the key identity of the devil is that he is the accuser. And here he has come with a direct accusation. You will not certainly die. And again, he doesn't actually directly say it, but what he's implicitly saying is God is a liar. Do you get that? Foreign thought. Adam and Eve had never had this thought before. What if he's actually a liar? Maybe this whole thing is deceit. Maybe I'm in deception. And then it goes further. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He is a liar and he is lying for his own good at your expense. Well, I want you to catch that because even in some of you goody-goody Christian people in this room, there is still the thing operating in you and in me that wants to believe that same thing because we have a sin nature inside of us and it's rooted in the same basic, basic thought that God is not trustworthy. That's it. So catch this. The idea that began the problem is that God lies. But it's deeper than that. If God lies, God cannot be trusted. But it's deeper than that. What the devil was saying to Adam and Eve is, God does not really love you. Boom. Therein lies the problem. Did he say it directly? No. But that's the thought. That's the belief system that was, imp- in, um, I want to say impregnated, but that would probably be the, the, not the greatest word choice, introduced 
uh, imparted into the heart of mankind. Just take note of that right now because the solution for you and me is not just to be a really good Christian. The solution is to get a revelation of God's love. Okay? And then we can trust. And trusting is fun. Trusting is fulfilling. It's not, it's not always feeling safe. It's not always feeling comfortable, but it is, it is fulfilling. Trusting means we trust him when we don't even see how this thing is going to work, what it's going to look like. Oh my gosh, God, what are you leading me into? But you will never, ever, 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 ever be fulfilled in life until you are walking it with the one who has created you for a purpose and where he is leading you and you're not. You'll never be fulfilled because you only in that place walk into your purpose and into your destiny and only in that place do you discover how good he really is. You may get an idea even from a message like this, an idea, but it's not until you actually leave and follow do you see the goodness of God in in, uh, full scope. So if you go a couple verses down, Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. This is temptation. This is what it looks like. Some of you have bowed down to temptation. I mean, some of you. Every one of you have bowed down to temptation. The person you're listening to has bowed down to temptation before. This is what it looks like. We see it. We think, yeah, that does look good. There are some benefits there. And then you eat the fruit. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. See, they, the, the, the devil operates by giving you a lie, and it's 10% lie cloaked in 90% truth. You follow that? He was true. It, that, that God knows that when you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened and you will understand good and evil. What he didn't say is that is going to ruin your life. And they, when, they, when their eyes were opened, they realized that they were naked. In other words, for the first time ever, they became self-aware, self-absorbed. Am I measuring up? Am I good enough? Am, am I shameful? Am I loved? Am I good enough? I've got to hide myself. Eve sees me now. I've got to hide myself. God sees me now. I've got to hide myself. It's the the fruit of the fall. As opposed to relaxing in the goodness of knowing I am loved. It's a foreign thought to think anything else. This is good. He's good. I'm good. We're good. This is good. I'm naked and don't care. The result of the fall is one that man, what happened here, maybe the result's not the best word, man disobeyed. But as a result, and I'm not going to go into the scripture right now because it would take a bit, a bit of time, but very simply the result of that was that man was cut off from the spirit of God. Man still had a body. We still had a soul. But our spirits became dead. That connection, that intimacy, that direct sense of his presence, his nearness, was cut off. How can I say that? Because I lived the first 17 years of my life in that state. And something happened when I placed my faith in Jesus at the age of 17. I became, as the scripture says, born again. Spirit became alive inside of me. And everything has been perfect ever since. I always just say that. 
That's, I'm, not, I'm not saying that everything becomes perfect. I'm saying something, uh, that channel where there's that, see, that disconnect where we're vaguely aware of a God out there and we're groping and we're, is it this? Is it that God? Is it, is it many gods? Is it, we're, aware, we're aware of something beyond transcend, transcending this realm, but we're not really sure what it is exactly. And I'm telling you that spiritual reconnection, you know God. Again. And thirdly, evil entered the world. The origin of evil entering the world, the origin of your pain and my pain, the things that have messed us up, the things that have wreaked havoc in our lives, the, the origin of that all stems from this, and it's ultimately distrust of God because of believing that He doesn't really love us. Herein lies Jesus. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Funny enough, there's a man in the room that was wanting to share from the Scripture with me. And, he, and he, he never got it out fully. But Philippians chapter 2. If there's a passage of Scripture that, that epitomizes Jesus, this is certainly one of them. Philippians uh, chapter 2, Paul says this starting in verse 5. Again, so far we've identified that the beginning of the problem, that, that there was a, a, things were good, there was a direct harmony between heaven and earth, that disconnection happened the way it happened. Jesus becomes the solution. And in verse 5, it says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What are we saying about Jesus right now? He was God. He was equal with God. He was in the form of God. And can I say from that, Jesus was deity, but he was not a man. He was not a human. And we see that in this scripture right here. It clearly is saying he's in the form of God, but in verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. You see that he was not a man. The only thing that we could say about Jesus prior to this moment is that he was referred to as the Word of God. He was the, the knowledge of God, the communication of God. When, in, in fact, in creation, when it says that God spoke and said, let there be light, he released Jesus, his communication. And that mixing with the Spirit of God created material matter. He was the communication of, of heaven. He was Spirit. But it says right here that he took on, he left heaven... And came into the earth. Can I say that he took that string and he left heaven and came down into the earth to touch earth and became a man. Why? Because the problem existed between God and man at the fall. And to, and to fix the problem, a man who created the problem, a man had to fix the problem. And there was no one who was going to fix it. A perfect sacrifice had to be made. And so he became a man and came into the earth to, for the first time since that fall, to fully reflect and show and manifest God in the earth once again. Heaven coming to earth. And so you know the things that he did. We won't go into all that. He, he worked miracles. He preached the gospel. He raised the dead. He prophesied. He did all of these amazing things. He showed love, but he also uh, spoke uncompromising truth. He did all of these things, and you know how he did it? 
He did it by the power of the Spirit. If you'll look with me real quick to Luke chapter 4, and if you're not you know, used to flipping around the Scripture and, and don't even know if Luke's in the old, beginning of the back of the Bible, please feel okay, that's alright. You don't need to feel like you're not like holy enough. Luke chapter 4. If you're looking in there, it's like in the center of the Bible, but a little bit more towards the, the back, towards the end. It's the third of the four books that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke... In the fourth chapter of Luke, Jesus has... I'm just going to show this to you quickly. We don't need to spend a lot of time here. But Jesus had just started his ministry. So Jesus was born, and he spent the first 30 years of his life with Joseph and Mary. You ever heard of them? That's his mom and his dad. He was born of a virgin. God impregnated, if I can say. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and caused her womb to have the seed of God so that Jesus was the Son of God. Born as an actual physical man, but being fully God. He was born and spent the first 30 years of his life doing the exciting work of being a son of an obscure stepfather, I guess we would say. Uh, who was a carpenter, at the age of 12, he knew he was supposed to be the Son of God. We know that in Luke chapter 2. And uh, it wasn't until he was 30. Can you imagine knowing something of your calling at the age of 12 and you still have 18 more years of building cabinetry before you actually even enter into it? And at the age of 30, he goes to a guy named John the Baptist who is preparing the way for the Messiah. That's who Jesus was. And he's, bapti- he's calling people to repent and to get into the Jordan River and, and be baptized and to, so that they, their hearts would be prepared. And Jesus himself becomes one of them. And when John the Baptist sees him, he says, I, I don't need to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to untie the, the, the sandal, your sandals. You, know, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's right for you to do this. He's baptized, he comes up, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. You following? So Jesus, the man, now has God, and he's also God, but he has God, the Spirit, upon his flesh. And in Luke chapter 4, it says, uh, the very next thing that happens in, for Jesus is that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Two things there. I want to point these out. He was full of the Spirit. Maybe say that. Full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. And he was led by the Spirit. Can you say that with me? Led by the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Why are we emphasizing this? Because we're talking about God's plan. That he's wanting... The plan all along has been a harmony, a, a connection of heaven into the earth. And that harmony and that connection does not happen by people acting good. Right. Absolutely. It's a spirit thing. Yes. It is a relationship with the Spirit of God. Yes. Being full of the Spirit, which we won't get into fully today, and being led by the Spirit. In other words, not me just ticking my boxes and I go to church and I tithe and I go to community group and I make sure I have a devotional in the morning and I blah, 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 blah. That's, that's all good if it helps you to connect with the Spirit. Yes. Yes. Spiritual connection. That's what this thing is all about. Trusting. How do we trust if we're not hearing? We we hear from a spiritual connection. He was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And if you go a couple verses down, after that whole 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in, say this with me, in the power of the Spirit. 
He was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And he and we lived in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. There's a recipe for living in this earth in our real purpose. Not just by doing the good things. It's by having the good one living inside of us where we let go and let him do his thing. Yeah. <laughs> you keen? Yes. That's what church is supposed to be. It's not the collection of the really spiritual people who are getting on the straight and narrow. Oh my gosh. Let me go back to my old life if that's what this thing is about. And if that's what eternity looks like, I'm not sure how attractive heaven is. Bunch of people who are doing right. This thing is wild. This thing is is amazing. (laughs) So... That's Jesus, and we did his thing. He did three and a half years of ministry, the most amazing thing any man has ever done. Go read it for yourselves. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amazing. Everything he says is direct communication of heaven. Everything he did is a direct reflection of the Father who we had never seen, but he came so that we could see him through him. But it culminates not with just him showing him what we ought to be like. It culminates with him doing what he did at the cross. If you'll go back to Philippians chapter 2, let's continue. We read the verses 5 through 7. Let's read um, verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And so here is a picture of, of Jesus taking care of man's side, taking care of God's side. What was wrong on man's side? Man's side, we've already established that there was not trusting. And that not trusting was rooted in not knowing that God really loves. Jesus, if you read the story, leading up to the cross, asked even the Father, if it's possible, Father, this thing that I'm about to go do, I'm paraphrasing. This thing I'm about to go do, I'm about to, I'm about to be uh, martyred. I'm about to be beaten. I'm about to have to carry this cross up a hill. They're going to drive nails through my wrists and through my, through my feet. I'm going to die, and I'm going to suffer separation of you and me. That's why the scripture says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus saw the ultimate result of sin, which is separation between the holy God and, and sinful man. And he saw, though he had never sinned, he, he met that. And he knew that's what he was about to do. And he started sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and asked, is it possible to have this taken away from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In the cross, what I'm getting at, my friends, is that Jesus demonstrated as a man perfect trust in the Father. Yeah. Why? Because he knew that no matter what, what God was leading him to do was rooted in goodness and love. He undid what happened at the garden, which was by the by the by the by coincidentally another tree. You know, Jesus bore a tree that he was nailed onto when he went up, and it was the one tree where the fall happened, and another tree where the solution came. Yes. So he took care of man's side of by trusting even 
to death. But what about God's side? Well, I don't think we, I think we would struggle to, to, to point out a fault in God's contribution of the fall. God didn't do anything. In fact, he wasn't even in the scene. And we know he was there, but he wasn't even participating in this thing, right? It was between the serpent and Eve and then Eve and Adam. So what, what was the problem with God? Well, the problem with God was that a lie had been perpetuated about him. And in Jesus, Jesus took care of man's side, but he also took care of God's side in that he showed that God loves endlessly without any measure, even unto death. He would sacrifice. He undid the lie by loving man even unto death. The perfect coming and bearing the punishment of the imperfect so that there could be harmony again between the perfect God and sinful man. That sounds like love to me. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19, you don't necessarily need to turn there, but if I could just read this to you. So I think this, this epitomizes what Jesus did in that moment. All this is from God who reconciled us. I want you to hear that word, reconciled us reconciled us. What does that word mean? That means to make two parties who were at odds, who weren't able to come together, to make them to come together. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Does that sound good to you? Perhaps we've done a bad job of portraying what the gospel is really about? Trying to make people feel bad about their sin? When in fact, it's not that we should feel good about sin, that's not the ultimate point. The point is, we need God. The point is, we, we are made for fellowship with Him, and trust is at the, is at the center of either having fellowship or not not recounting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want you to hear this scripture right here. God made Him, who is Him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. (laughs) In other words, the wrath of God that had to be poured out on sin, that thing that came in to destroy what He had created as good. It had to have the vengeance of God born upon it. But the problem is, is if sin dwelled inside of man, then we get killed with it. Does that make sense? If He eradicates sin and sin is dwelling inside of us, in fact, we're the, 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 the temples of sin in the earth, then if He eradicates sin, He's got to eradicate us. And so Jesus says, I will be sin for you. You can pour your wrath upon me. I will bear it so that anyone who simply puts trust in me will never, ever know death. And that Holy Spirit that shouldn't be living inside of sinful man will now cohabitate once again that through the grace of God we can have life again with God and He will love us even when you're imperfect and He will lead you like a good father to mature you and raise you as far as you can go within this eternal life. I mean, within this mortal life. And then when this mortal life ends, you'll never taste death. You just go into eternal life forever. 
In fact, eternal life begins the moment you receive Jesus. You know that. Just make that clear. We don't die and then have eternal life. The moment you receive Jesus, eternal life is inside of you. And Jesus says this is eternal life, that you would know God in Jesus Christ to be sent. It's a relationship. Can I just ask you to close your eyes real quick? If what I'm saying is true, and we're not closing, I'm just asking you to close your eyes for a second. If what I'm saying, just for a second, if what I'm saying is true, guys, because I find it so helpful when I'm reading the Bible in the morning, I do that every morning, and because I'm so good, because I, I, I want him, I need him. And I read the scripture, and they're, they're, I find it so helpful when I, when I read something to just stop and, and to just kind of like acknowledge it to God. And I want you to just stop right now. And if, it's, and if you have the faith inside of your heart, just to acknowledge, Jesus, you came to re- reconcile me. You did that for me. You love me. Just receive his love. Receive his love. Receive his love. If there is any truth that washes away deception, it's love. It's love. And we're talking serious love, folks. This is not feelings-based love. This is Jesus going to a cross saying, I will do anything for you. Just receive him. Thank you, Lord. So I just want to kind of tie a bow around it and say a couple takeaways and we can pray. Jesus, after all of this happened, he comes out of the ground. That's a thing that we're not going to get into right now. But he, he dies. All of his believers think that the whole thing is blown to pieces. He's dead. They're all depressed. He starts showing up in resurrected form. They still don't believe him. <laughs> They have a meal with them. They still are like, well, let me touch your... Let me, let me see if this is real. I mean, it's, it's like... it's Yeah. So that's where they are. And, and I say that to say this. If God can use them, those were the apostles. I mean, where I grew up, the apostles were like the holiest of holy people. They were walked around in robes and their feet didn't touch the ground. They just floated. If God can use the apostles and that's where they were, I'm saying God can use you and me. Even if we don't do everything perfectly, God loves that, in fact. And so Jesus, he, uh, he, he resurrects, it says, and, and then he hangs out with his disciples, his apostles, for a moment. And in Mark 16, 19, it says, And the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven... And he sat down at the right hand of God. I want you to get a picture of that, that Jesus left heaven and he was not a man. But through the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary, he became a man. And for the purpose of, because God had given authority and dominion over the earth to man, the work had to be done by man. I, I mean, I, I'm not talking about gender. I mean, what, I'm talking about mankind. And it had to be done by humanity. So he became one of us to do this work as a man. He goes to the cross and does what he does for the Spirit, led by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. And he goes back up into heaven as a man, not returning as he left. But as he returned back to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. What does that mean? God's power 
all of the authority of the Father God conferred completely upon Jesus. And it's like that string that he was holding. If you can picture that with me. I don't know if that makes sense. He's, he came out of heaven and he tied a big loop and he went all the way back and now there is a connection. So that every believer can, can follow that same pathway. Can, can go back into heaven where he is. In fact, if you've received Jesus, heaven is already inside of you. You don't have to follow away. It's already in you. But that at the same time, what's in heaven comes into you. There is now a pathway, once again, between heaven and earth. And there, right now, there is still sin. There's still evil. Jesus will come again and eliminate all of this. And every single believer will live eternally with him. There is a call to receive what God has done. And in Philippians 2, that scripture that we've been reading, we read 5 through 7, and then we read 8. Let's read 9 through 11 quickly. And we'll close with this. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. What's the last thing we said? We said that Jesus went to the lowest of places. We said that he, even though he was... He didn't consider it to robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant. He came in the likeness of a man and, 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 and suffered even uh, 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 unto death. And it says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those of earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the highest that there is. And that thing of under the earth and in the earth and above the earth is spiritual beings, mankind, spiritual beings, the whole lot, every, every, all of creation in the end will eventually declare him he is Lord and recognize who he is. But what I'm wanting to say is that this is not just about domineering authority that he is Lord. This is, this is a king who died for his subjects. A king who has proven to us he could not be better. He could not love us anymore. He has undone the problem where it all began, which was not trusting, rooted, and not believing his love. He has done everything that God could do to undo that lie and to show us, I will do anything for you. You can trust me. You can trust me. A couple takeaways just real quick. One, you are the object of his pursuit. You can't earn his love. Secondly, you are loved. And thirdly, his desire is and always has been connection with you. It is very good. That's the first thing, is that you're the object of his pursuit. I thought I got to get on the straight and narrow and make it right. You just need to see him for who he is. And he'll start working in you to make it right. That's right. That's right. But that happens by trust, not by performance. That's right. That happens by being led, not by trying to show God how good you are. Amen. Secondly, you serve him by trusting his spirit, not conforming to rules. 
That sounds a whole lot better to me. And thirdly, lastly, His Spirit sends us. I mean, if we really believe that this happened, Jesus left heaven. I mean, for Him to leave heaven, I don't know about you, surely there had to be a serious motivating factor. Last time I checked, heaven would have been way better to stay in. He left heaven. And did He leave in order to, like, have a vacation from heaven? Because there are some things in earth that weren't in heaven, and, you know, no. He went to die. He went to be misunderstood, to be betrayed, to be not believed, to be beaten. That's what He left for. And if He left heaven, and that's His nature... To be motivated to reconcile the two, heaven and earth, God and man. If he left heaven to to form that loop, surely those who have called upon him and still live in this earth and have his spirit dwelling inside of them, surely as he leads us, he's leading us out of the same heart to reconcile man and God, to bring the two back into one, to to illuminate into the earth who, who he is. And I would say uh, this. Remember that scripture that we read earlier? Uh, 2 Corinthians. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Listen to this. And he gave us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can you say us? I don't like doing that, like, you know, touch your neighbor and say whatever. And (laughs) weird things that you see in church sometimes. I don't like doing that. But sometimes on Sunday morning, it's good just to wake you up. (laughs) but also to engage us in the reality of what we're saying here. He gave us, that's you and me, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has, listened to this, committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Are you seeing the picture? Jesus was heaven's ambassador. Jesus was a perfect representation of the Father, and now as we follow Him, we become His ambassadors. Same mission, same calling, revealing Jesus who reveals the Father into the earth, and all of it for the purpose of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's what you and I live for. And if I could say two things just by way of reminder, I would say every person who's following Jesus, do something Leave, can I say, your comfort zone to go build a connection relationally with a person who is not in church or not, doesn't know Jesus yet or is not following. Why? Because this whole thing is about relationship. Yeah. We think it's about like preaching at them. And so you can get this transaction between you and God right and then you kind of, you know, I don't really care about you. I just want to make sure that I pre- No, like this whole thing is relationship. Laterally, and vertically. <laughs> Too, legit. <laughs> Too legit. So do something every week. Make sure you're connecting. You're leaving your comfort zone. You're leaving your thing to at least engage relationally and build a, a bridge of trust upon which the things that are inside of you of the kingdom of heaven can make its way into other people. Just like Jesus did. It would have never happened had he stayed in heaven. He had to go into the earth. And when he got there, he had to be full of the Spirit. And when he was full of the Spirit, he had to open up his mouth and not throw the Bible at people and preach down their throats and 
try to force them into some salvation thing. Love them. Be led of the Spirit. And, and be transparent. Be vulnerable and share what's really inside of you. It's, gonna, it's going to make an impact. And then secondly, I would say invite people to church. Why? Because people experience, they come into they come into the articulation of the gospel in the context of a church setting. I think those are two easy things that we're, as a beginning points that we can start with of being ministers of reconciliation.